is brought to you by the Kansas City Barbecue Store, the official provider of barbecue supplies to listeners of Pitmaster. Happy New Year to all you barbecue maniacs out there. It's January and it's cold, but barbecue season is starting all around the country and you don't want to miss out on this discount from the Kansas City Barbecue Store. From smokers and fuel to rubs and sauces, the Kansas City Barbecue Store has everything and anything you could possibly want. Make the Kansas City Barbecue Store your one-stop shop for all your outdoor cooking needs. As a listener of the OVS Pitmaster Podcast, you can get 10% off of your order this spring by using the code PITPOD, P-I-T-P-O-D, all caps, for online orders at www.thekansascitybarbecuestore.com. Happy 2023. This is Luke Darnell, Pitmaster of Old Virginia Smoke and host of the Pitmaster Podcast. And thank you very much for sticking with us. We've, we are now on episode 101. We took a little break around the holidays and it's been a good break, but now we're back and we're going to do part two of the interview with, with moi, with myself. So, uh, We've got with us again our producer and hetero life mate Chris Sedanka. Up in Hello. Maine. How you doing, Hi. bud? I'm doing great. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Barbecue oh. season just got started too. It just started rolling in uh Florida this past weekend. How'd it go? Uh well, I wasn't there. I ended up not going. Mm. Um I had some other stuff going on that uh, precluded me from going and cooking with the boys. And I feel really bad about not going, um, cause it looked like a great time. They had a great time. I miss seeing them. Um, but I just had a lot of shit going on and, uh, life happens, man. Life happens. And unfortunately I couldn't do it. So I will make it up to those guys somehow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the Florida, the Southern swing is rolling and, uh, We'll see where this goes and see what's going to be in store for barbecue in 2023. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to part two here. I feel like we, um, I feel like with the first, with the first part, we kind of buttered the roll, but now we're ready to really roll in here. I know you, as I said, roll again, as (laughs) I know you'd like to, uh, get some fun opinions out here. So we're just going to jump right into it. My friend, butter your bread. What's missing in competition barbecue? What's missing in competition barbecue? Wow, you're starting off hard this morning. Oh, we're going, this is going to, part two is going to be hot, man. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think what's missing is, and I know a lot of people have said it on this podcast, but I'm going to say it in a different way, hopefully. I think what's missing is the sense of community, the sense of, of helping one another, the sense of encouragement. I think there's this new trend of ultra-competitiveness and win at all costs and it's some stuff that really wasn't there before back in the day when we started. And I know I'm sounding like an old crony at this point, but it used to be you were in your cook and you did your cook, but you cheered no matter what. And now you're seeing these, I don't know, rivalries pop up and these these tense situations between either teams themselves or teams from a different you know geographical area and it never used to be like that it you know everybody you went to barbecue contests to make new friends and and if you did well great if you didn't you cheered your friends on and it it seems to have taken on a more a more, oh man, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's just, there's just this sense of agitation and sense of competitiveness. And I mean, I know what it's, what it comes down to. It's because everyone has access to way more information. Everybody 
feels the need to put their opinion out there on social media. I've said it a thousand times that social media, whenever they, they do an autopsy on our society, it'll be social media. That is the main reason that things imploded. And, and also people take this hobby of ours incredibly seriously, incredibly serious. It's, it's to a breaking point almost. This is not a life or death thing. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be going to meet people. So that's what I think is missing is getting back to that sense of community, that sense of helping one another and that sense of cheering for each other. Is it to a point where you think it can't return to, to what so many, like you said, so many guests bring this up. I mean, essentially everyone we talk to, has some sort of um, take that's similar to what you just said. And I just wonder, you know, what would it, what, what's it going to take to kind of shift it back to where it was more fun? It was more entertaining. And I'm not trying to take the competition out of it because competition's important, right? Like it's sure. why you're there. You want to win. And I don't think anyone's saying that, but at, at the end of the day, this is still a bunch of dudes and ladies getting in a backyard and just grilling and having fun. Right. Isn't that the whole point? That's, that's my the cat's whole fight. <laughs> that's the whole point. And I think to get back to it, you would have to see a, a seismic shift in the infrastructure of barbecue contests. Right now, if you put on a barbecue contest and you've been to a few, you know, it. if you want to go and watch a barbecue contest, you're not going to see anything because everyone's stuck in their trailer and they're doing things behind closed doors and there's really nothing to see. And you're also, when you're in that trailer, you're closed off from other people. And, I mean, we have a giant trailer, sure. And it's very comfortable and it's very nice. My favorite contests are the ones where we don't have the trailer and where we cook out of a pop-up and take the J3 and we're out there in the open and we've got the music playing and we can talk to the other teams that are around us and dance and showboat and talk shit and all kinds of stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. I think if you start seeing more contests go that route, I think you'll start seeing some of that camaraderie come back. And it also alleviates a lot of the problems with barbecue contests and that barbecue cooks are a bunch of needy, whiny people. Uh, you know, we got to have power, water, and ice and got to have 30 amp power so we can run our air conditioners and our, and our induction burners and, and be able to watch TV in our trailers and sit inside and basically be a hermit. Yep. So. Yeah, that's – I I have a dream of putting on a contest that's 25 teams, no trailers. That's what you got. Everything's out in the open. People can come by, check it out. If you have 25 teams, you only have four judges, four tables of judges. It's the most equitable contest you can have in barbecue. Everybody's going to hit all four tables once. So you don't have to worry about an angel table or a table of death. Everyone's going to hit the same tables. Then you get a real sense of where things are, where you stand. And it's something I would really like to do. Do I have the time to pull off something like that right now? Probably not. But it is my dream. You mentioned angel table, angel table of death, judging in general. Where do you see judging five years from now? Do you see it being the same? Are there changes that need to occur? And if so, what are those changes? Ooh, now you're trying to get me in trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> judging changed a lot because of the pandemic. A lot of our judges are a little bit older. Um, and rightfully so stayed away during the pandemic like they should have, like everybody should have. Um, and now it's trying to get those those judges, especially the, the master judges, 
and the people who have judged a lot of contests and really know what they're doing, it's getting those people back involved. And I don't know if that's going to happen or not. The pandemic changed barbecue a lot in that people figured out that they could do other things with their time if they wanted to. They could go camping. They could go play golf. They could see family and barbecue because there weren't a lot of contests and there wasn't a lot going on. There wasn't that pressure and people found other things to do with their, with their money. And the same was for judges. People found other things to do. So now you're in a situation where I think you're seeing a lot of people try to get new judges certified. And that goes back to the problem of judge training And I think judge training is one of the major things that KCBS needs to address. The judge training course is something where you go and they're basically showing you things and giving you food that you would never, ever have at a barbecue contest. Everyone is so good now. You're never going to see people using red tip lettuce or only putting five pieces in a box. And that's what they're teaching you at their class. They're not teaching you about the actual food and what it should be. And I kind of make it a point whenever I'm around anything that's like that, I go and I talk to the group of judges and the people teaching the class generally hate it because I go in and I tell them, this is not food that you're going to get at a barbecue contest. This is, this is food that people are throwing together to get you to try and be tripped up on the technicalities of it but the food is not what it, what you're going to have. And you have people in that judging class giving that food nines, eights, and it's nothing better than a five. So it's getting, when you have an influx of those new judges, then you have either, new judges either have really inflated scores, really high scores, or really low scores. So it's getting them experienced and seeing if we can level out those numbers. That'll, that'll do a lot for judging, but they really do need to address how they're training judges in the first place. How beneficial would it be if a cook was essentially went through a whole process of cooking and for the judge to, you know, for, you know, during one of those judges training classes, how beneficial would it be if a cook was part of that? It'd be very beneficial. I mean, the problem is, is cost, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me to go cook a contest for say 24 people, could I do it? Yeah. Is the budget there from the people who are, you know, financing the training and whatever? No. To do that, you know, it's a thousand dollars like a contest. I'm going to need to cook a ton of pork, 24 pieces of chicken, at least five racks of ribs to put out comp quality food, not even all the way, just part of the way, you know, is still going to be pretty expensive. But one of the things that like to become a master judge, a judge has to go cook with a cook team in a contest, which I think is one of the coolest things. And I think that's cool. They do that after 30 contests. That means you can become a master judge. I'd like to see them do that earlier in the process just so judges would get kind of a better feel of what goes on, how much goes into it. We've had, I think, 11 judges come and cook with us over our time uh, for their masters. It is great because they actually get to see what happens. And it's it's amazing watching them become invested in what you've done and watch them go to awards and watch them lose their shit over a score sheet. It's hilarious. (laughs) It's really good. But they also get a sense of what's what cooks put into it. Sure. Yeah. One of my one of my favorite sayings <clears throat> and I can't remember if I heard it from somewhere or if I came up with it. So I'm just gonna go ahead and attribute it to myself. But <laughs> you can find ten people in a Walmart to judge a barbecue contest. You can't find ten people to cook one. And I know that sounds bad, but it's true. And there are other 
sanctioning bodies out there that, that basically just pull people off the street. And that's how they judge it. They teach them right there, and then those people judge. That's not good. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. You're, cook, you're cooking food for, for, again, for people that you don't, you don't know what their tastes are. True. But that's why I think a lot of people love the KCBS format and the training that they offer. I just think it needs to be a little better. In the first episode, we talked a little bit about classes and classes you've taken. Now that you teach classes, how much do you think that has influenced your cooking for, for a positive standpoint or maybe some negative aspects? How much has me teaching influenced my cooking? Yes. Hmm. We recently taught a class in December. And it's honestly the best class I've ever taught. And I really put a lot of effort in to making sure that I had a really good cook. Uh, for several reasons. One, we had a full boat. We had 27 people in the room. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. But also one of my teachers was there. And that, that put a lot of, one of my first teachers, and that put a lot of stress on me because, number one, I'm, I'm never going to mail it in. Number two, there was a degree of wanting to show off a little bit and, and just show this person what I, what I could do. And it really, it opened my eyes up to a lot of the smaller things that I do that really make our cook really good. And, and I've been kind of taking stock of that since that class class kind of changed me a little bit. So now I'm, we're getting ready to get our season fired up. So I'm going to start practicing here and getting some new things going, trying some new products out and, I'm excited again. And it's kind of, that class kind of offered me a little bit of a rebirth in terms of my way of thinking about this and, and having faith in myself and what I do and that it could be successful. That's probably the biggest change is, is that faith seeing people, seeing students of mine from the past two or three years that are really just out there crushing it right now. And that brings me a very big sense of joy and pride and in, in those people that they're doing well. So it's like you have your very own coaching tree. <laughs> Kinda. Uh, <laughs> you, you, <clears throat> you can say it that way. Yes. But the one, <laughs> the one, and you're noticing that I'm not bringing up people by name in this because at the end of the day, I did nothing. Correct. They, they still had to cook the food. They had to listen. They had to take the notes. They had to take what they learned from me, put it into their program. This is all their success. Um, I'm very grateful for the people that get out there and post and, and, and say how much they appreciate everything that I taught them. That means the world to me. It means the world to me doing classes. And, but I'm never going to take credit for those people's success. They still have to cook it. And that's the number one thing that we teach, you know. I, I can show you everything that I do, but it's up to you as to whether you can cook it as well as me or not. This podcast is brought to you by BarbecueData.com. BarbecueData.com is your one-stop shop for all of your barbecue competition data. Historical data, calls, wins, placements, everything under one roof. It's a great way not only to track yourself in the standings, but also to track how you improve your scores from year to year. Listeners of this podcast can receive 20% off of a new subscription to BarbecueData.com with the code PITPOD. That's one word, all capital letters, P-I-T-P-O-D, PITPOD. So check your team scores, check on others, and do it all on BarbecueData.com. For someone who listens to this program, maybe they've heard you and, and guests talk about classes over the last couple of years and Maybe they're trying to get interested, but they're they're really just not that sure. What take me through a class? What's a what's a, a standard class? What are you going to learn? What, how hands on is it? All that fun stuff. 
That's the number. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the number one thing I think that people don't realize about classes is that they're not hands on. The only thing that you're going to be hands on with is you're going to get to try the food, which I think is the most important part of the class. Sure. We start our, we, we generally do a two day class. So we'll start on a Friday or Saturday. We'll start in the early evening with. Meat selection, meat trimming, and we'll talk about what we're looking for at the store when we're buying food, how we, how we prepare that, how we trim that meat, how we trim that meat at home. Because that having the meat trimmed and knowing what you have before you show up at a, con- show up at a contest to me is one of the most important things you can do. You don't want to show up there with a piece of meat you don't want to cook because then you're already screwed. So we go through that. We go through our injections and our brines for all the meats. And we talk about, we talk a lot about mindset, <clears throat> making sure your brain's in the right space. We talk a lot about taking it easy on Friday night that, you know, you can go there for fun if you want. But if you want to do well, you know, there are certain rules that I have to follow. I have to be in bed by nine. I have to, I can't have more than three drinks. Can't have any drinks until prep is done. And then we start four 30 in the morning and we, on Saturday and we start on an actual competition timeline and we go through every step that we do up and up through boxing, tasting, um, picking what we're going to put in the box. We go through everything. We do the whole thing right in front of everybody. We answer every question. And then everybody gets to try all the food. So that's the, yeah, that's, that's a class. What did you kind of feel is the most difficult thing to learn in competition barbecue, whether it be cooking a meat or like you just said, and we talked like you, and we talked about this obviously in the first episode too, kind of understanding what it takes on a Friday night, what the prep is just overall, what, what are some of the most difficult aspects of cooking? Getting the right tenderness is the number one thing. It's the key to success. It's the key to getting good scores. When you get down to it at the end of the day and you try all these different rubs and all these different things, they're all very similar. It's really just getting that tenderness right. Not using anything offensive and getting the tenderness right. Particularly in... It's important in all four meats. I can't just really, uh, in each, in, it depends on the pit master too, on which meat is their biggest challenge. And, and figuring that out, and it, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of reps. And that's the number one, that's the hardest thing to do is to, to do that and to keep your brain in the game. That's the number one thing too. Say you turn in chicken and you're not real happy with it. You got to let that shit go. You got to move on. You've got three more meats and you're not out of the game. So you got three more meats to go. So get cracking. Get your mind right. How does KCBS keep people? How, you know, how, how do they, how do they keep the retention up? How do they make, how are they making sure that competition barbecue will? continue to be a healthy competition for the next couple decades or for the next generation. I think they're, they're coming out of a tough period as everything is. Everybody likes to, you know, oh, pandemic, but it's true. It's pandemic. And <laughs> I think KCBS is now on a really good path, especially with Rod Gray as the CEO and just getting the organization modernized a little bit in terms of its communication to its members, its 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 back end, and making sure the judging and the and the rep stuff is all going well. And I think they're really moving. They're going to have some pains, and they're going to have some growing pains. But I think, especially having someone as knowledgeable about competition barbecue as Rod in charge, is really going to be beneficial to everyone as a whole and 
I know there's a lot of people, especially judges out there, that are like, oh, no, there's a cook in charge. And Yeah, I'm sorry. There's a cook in charge. Right. It's good. It's good that there's a cook in charge. It's let's let's get things right. Let's let's start building right now. We're at the bottom of the bell curve, I think, in terms of participation, number of contests. But again, you're seeing barbecue coming back on TV, which is great. It's great exposure for the for the brand and for the hobby. And I think we're on the uptick and it's just keeping that messaging going and keeping it positive. How do you think competition barbecue should build off of the television success? Because to your point, like I can have a conversation with friends who have never even thought about going to a competition barbecue or a barbecue competition, excuse me, but they'll religiously watch everything on television. Yeah. So how does that translate between the two? Sure. Like, how do you build off of the momentum or how does competition barbecue build off the momentum that they get off of the television shows? Or how should they build off the momentum? I guess I should say. Hmm. I think by being a little more public with what's going on at the contest, we already talked about that a little bit. And I also think having incentivize your cooks to do like demos and teach people stuff that they can use in their backyard to make better food. Uh, having those demos, having, having food that they can taste is a big deal. And I know there's all sorts of rules and regulations around health departments and all that stuff, but surely there's a way where you could have a contest with 25 teams where people could, you could take the food that you have left over <clears throat> and people could try it. There's got to be a way to figure that out. And I think once you get people, if you can get people in that door, then I think you see, you'll see a larger group of people that want to become judges. I think you'll see a smaller group of people that'll want to actually be cooks. And I think that's that's the doorway in. It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. And, I mean, it, but it, back to your original question, there has to be an incentive to get people from the couch to the contest in terms of, of barbecue being on TV. That's how we, what we got to figure out. All right, before we get to the rapid fire, <laughs> I know a lot of people have been waiting for this. What is uh, what does your future hold in barbecue? Wow. That's funny you bring that up. I spent a lot of time on this question. In terms of the business of barbecue, I want to continue to grow our brand. Especially here locally, I want to start doing some more creative things. It's it's fine just being in the catering and the vending business, but I actually think that I'm capable of doing a lot more and doing a lot more creative stuff and a lot more smaller stuff that's higher end. And I also want to keep increasing how much I teach. Uh, that's something that really brings me a lot of joy. It's a lot of fun. I love it seeing when people take our recipes and cook them and then post on Facebook. It's, it's so good. See, especially around the holidays, seeing people make prime rib and turkey and taking everything that I, I showed them and applying it at home. That's the big, that's the big payoff. That's where the future is. In terms of competition barbecue, this is probably going to be a slower year for us just because of the business and a lot of things going on. There's a lot of fun things scheduled for this year. Uh, going to going to Memphis in May this year for the first time. Can't really say much more about that, but I will be there and will be part of a team, and I'm pretty excited about that. Never been, and coming back up to Vermont and doing hopefully doing Harpoon. That'll be a fantastic 
fantastic trip. And this is always such a great time because I know I'll get to spend a lot of time with you. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. Heck yeah. And hopefully the GERD will be there. I love her. <laughs> Mom just had a birthday, didn't she? Uh, in December, yes. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. did. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, that's uh, continuing to explore some different parts of the country and and do some different things. I still, I still want to make it down to Texas. Um, I would love to go down there and cook, cook a CBA contest. My friend uh, Fred Robles has has put together his own sanctioning body, and he's done a great job. And I also just want to go down to Texas and <laughs> and. I, I really want to, you know, try some of the restaurants down there. I've been there a couple of times, but now that I'm in the actual restaurant business, I want to go down there and, and want to try some stuff and taste some stuff and do some different things and cook some different contests. I love cooking against Texans. It's, a, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. And I love it when people come and after they've had our brisket and they're like, Man, that brisket's better than anything I had in Texas. And I'm like, <laughs> I just go, I know. And they always like look at me and I think it's funny because I think the Texans would think that, would, would hear me say that and they would think it was funny. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. That's pretty great. Well, no, it's exciting, man. And it's been exciting for me to kind of watch your progression through this over the last decade and, uh, you know, how much it's become your full life like whether it be professional and personal but because again you know you talk to all these guys and and all these these pit masters all these gals and it's just incredible to see i mean this is not just a competition it's not just a hobby it's it's a way of life it's it's your social circles right it's your it's what you're doing on the weekends well some people are skiing or this or that, whatever they might be doing, you guys are, are going to competitions or at least you had for, for a long, long time, almost every weekend. It seemed like when the weather was good. So it's, it's, it's crazy how many people you've met, how many social circles you roll in, you know, get being on television. This has been quite a ride. Absolutely. And just want to keep it continuing. And man, you mentioned those fun years of cooking every weekend. <laughs> There were three years yet there where we were just, that's all we did. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point in the next five years, I would love to take one more year and cook between 30 and 40 contests. I really would love to do it. Um, the years that we did it, we did well, but I don't think I was near the cook that I am today. So to really get out there and do that again, I would love to do that again. One more time points running, I think would be fun. Just burning the candle and just mm-hmm. now, a lot of things have to happen to get to that point. Sure. But I would love to do it one more time. I think it'd be a lot of fun. All right. Are we ready for the rapid fire questions? Ooh. That's up to you. You you can you conduct these oh, yeah. hard hitting hard hitting interviews that uh, Roy Firestone esque. And I will say uh, again publicly how much I appreciate everything that you do and uh, for the podcast and for me and uh, it's a lot of fun working with you. I never dreamed we would make it this far. No kidding. And, yeah, it's crazy how many episodes <laughs> we've done. But no, it's been uh, my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Obviously, learning a ton about barbecue as well. And I've been lucky enough to be at numerous competitions, and they're I I love it. I I I soak up the competition. I can eat seventy five thousand pounds of meat and be very happy. So it's <laughs> you know leftovers are always a good thing in my book. But no, it's been it's been fun, especially to see how passionate you guys are about it. And it's really cool because. It's something that you and the general found that, you know, you're able to do together as well. I mean, it's just, uh, it's like you guys are like a, a walking billboard for, you know, like a good marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's how we spend time together. And yeah, it's you, great. You, you said that, yeah, it's how we spend time together. We both enjoy it. Kim, obviously, if it was up to Kim, we would cook every weekend. Uh-huh. She, she is a super competitive person. She's really 
I think you would be hard pressed to find anybody as good as her at the end in terms of appearance and detail in the box and also tasting. And she's, she's expanded what she does so much, man. She now basically runs the chicken cooker from start to finish and her attention to detail <clears throat> and just the way she stays on top of it. I, I don't know. I think she's one of the best in the world at what she does and couldn't awesome. do it without her. Yeah. <clears throat> you can tell the difference in the boxes when she's not there. It, it's now I do pride myself on getting a lot of nines in appearance. I do a good job, even with these giant hands, <laughs> but yeah, she's just come so far and it's one of those things that this is something that I think we'll do probably for the rest of our lives. I I don't believe, uh, if for those of you that might get upset about this, I don't really care, uh, say that they've retired from competition barbecue. You can't retire from a hobby. You, you move <laughs> on point. to something. You move on to something else. <laughs> you know, you start playing golf or or making honey or whatever. Um, you know, there's, and, and I don't think we'll ever stop. As long as we have friends that are doing it, and as long as we enjoy doing it, I think it's something we'll do forever. It's great. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. All right, here we go. Rapid fire. All uh, right. And it probably won't be very rapid, let's be honest. Probably not. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? And I can actually just change this. What do you see on social media that upsets and bothers you? Because I know <laughs> how you feel about social media. <clears throat> Wow. I don't know, man. Animosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, people taking things out of context or I don't, I don't want to say, you know, I do hate the box pictures. I, I can't stand. Tell me about my box or these are yeah. my box pictures and I won. Here's my box pictures. Like, Judges are on social media, too. It's not like you live in a vacuum. So when you post your pictures of your box, then people know what your boxes look like. How's that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just irritating to me. I There's no need for a box picture to ever be up there. Um, but there's no way to police that either. I sure. just think it's, eh, I don't dig it. Not my thing, but the animosity in general. But that animosity, it stems after more than barbecue. It's at every facet of life now. Yes. Yeah. That's much bigger than barbecue. Right. And everybody just wants to be in the animosity game. And yeah. I, I do not. <laughs> what is one of your favorite pre, during, and post competition meals? Oh, mercy. Pre-competition meal, generally on Friday night. Friday night's an important meal. There's either two situations. Either we're going to make something in the trailer and invite people over, which we've started trying to do more of because that, I think, brings in that, that camaraderie that we were talking about. Or we love to find a really good local restaurant, something that has some local flavor. That's a local restaurant, not a chain. And number one, go support that business. Number two, but try something different. Get to meet some locals, go out with some of our friends. It's always a fun time. That's the pre meal. During a competition, there are, there are several things that I need to have right there. Number one, I love having a decent breakfast, but I also never prepare anything or bring anything for breakfast. Um, so that's bad. There are several people out there that do bring me breakfast and, uh, I think they're amazing. I'm going to shout out Stephanie from Chunky. She always brings me muffins or a breakfast sandwich or something. Um, but contests that provide breakfast 
four teams. Oh man, those are my favorite. Just to walk over and see everybody, grab a plate of food. That's the best. I also have to have, um, at least three hydration packets, which I'm currently using a product called LMNT. That's the letters LMNT. And they're sugar-free hydration packets. But those are very important to me to have at least three of those before 10 o'clock in the morning on contest day. That way I know that I'm hydrated and I know that I'm staying sharp and that that's not going to be a problem. Uh, another thing that I have to have, and I don't do this all the time, but I should, is I take another supplement packet called Athletic Greens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Athletic Greens gives me all the nutrients that I need for the day. Because I know that the only thing that I'm going to eat unless I get a breakfast is going to be meat. And, again, there, I'm trying not to do that as much, but... If I have the athletic greens and I know that I've gotten my nutrition for the day, probably more than I would on a normal day. But I know that's not something that I'm going to need to worry about when it comes time to uh, to get things done. Post-competition meal. I love staying places on Saturday nights. Generally, that is finding out where a group is going. A lot of people like to go to Mexican. That's pretty much the only time I eat Mexican food is at a contest on a Saturday night when everybody's going out. But again, try and find something local. Um, and generally for me, it's a chicken wing type of night. Lukey love wingy. <laughs> <laughs> love the wingies, baby. But all those things go back to to something I teach in class, and that's, and I know that I'm not the biggest picture of health in the world, but making sure that your instrument is finely tuned is a big deal and making sure that, that you're not going to get dehydrated during the cook and you're not hung over and you're, you're getting the nutrition that you need so that you're making smart decisions and you're getting the sleep that you need. Those are all so important to, to doing well at a contest. All right, we talked plenty about underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Besides underwear, what's your favorite present you like to give to people? <laughs> oh, jeez. Besides underwear, that's so hard. All right, I mean, if there's no answer other than underwear, then I guess it's just underwear. But <laughs> I've started giving a lot of books. I love, I love gifting books. I love reading. I still read probably a book a week on average. Uh, like right now I'm reading three different books, mm -hmm. but probably my favorite book to gift right now is one that I talk about in pretty much every class I teach, whether it's competition or, um, or backyard. And that's salt, fat, acid, heat by Samin Nosrat. It's also a Netflix series of uh, four or five episodes. And she really talks about those components in terms of making a dish that is complete and satisfying and touches everything. And it's an essential book, man. I got uh, a comment from someone who took my class in December, Little Bear. Shout out to Little Bear. And uh, he sent me a message, and he's like, dude, he goes, this book is amazing. I was like, I told you. Like, it's and go buy the sea salt that's in the book. It is it is so good. It's not that expensive. You can get it on Amazon. Um, and that book changed my life. And actually, I was looking through Netflix yesterday. I uh, had kind of a down day yesterday, and I thought about just watching all of those, but I didn't. Um, but I might do it today. I don't know. If I got time this afternoon, I might watch all four episodes on Netflix. Might read the book again. Just to reinforce a lot of things about cooking in general that I think she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And that's a book that I have gifted now probably over 20 times. Um, and people were like, yeah, that's great. You gifted a book. I'm like, yeah, 
People should read more. Right, yeah. What's wrong with that? People <laughs> people should read more. People should know how to write in cursive. God forbid. I I love handing notes to my kids in the trailer that are written in cursive and they can't read them. It's hilarious. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like, we never learned that. That's, I'm like, that's yeah. Wait, so crime. Do they just not teach cursive anymore? No, they don't. Do they teach you how to do a signature? Man, I really believe we're like four weeks away from people just marking an X like they used to do back in the oh, 1800s. Yeah. Right, like in the cartoons back in the yeah. 60s. <laughs> now you just do it on a screen. Uh, I've really wanted, and I've wanted to create another side gig business of basically teaching people how to write. <laughs> well, I mean, the dumbing down of the American culture is a art is a story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. Yes, yes, it is. On. Yes, it is. <laughs> if you could have a giant, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? <laughs> It's funny because I've anticipated this question for a long time. And my friend Rick Hamilton, who I cook with a lot, and uh, he's kind of, he's become one of my best friends. And uh, both, he's great in the business part of this and the competition part of this. He does a speech at, at class when he's there about being a teammate. That is fantastic. And I would love to get him on here to do that. Um, but he, he, so far, he has shunned the spot, spotlight of the podcast. Um, <laughs> and he always talks about this question. And so my answer basically comes from him, but it basically sums up the way I feel about a lot of things. And that is, you're not alone. And what I mean by that is many different things. You're not alone. Meaning, if you're struggling or if you have problems, you're not alone. There are people that are out there that will be there for you and help you and can guide you through guide you through the fog. You're also not alone when you're driving. Use a turn signal. <laughs> let, let somebody in. You know, you're also not alone in a grocery store when you're standing in the middle of an aisle and you're just talking on your phone and you're not letting anybody buy, but because you're there and that's what you're doing. And, but you're not alone when you're walking into BJ's or a Costco and there's 10,000 people and you see somebody, you know, and you stop in the middle of the aisle and then you get hit by a cart because you're not supposed to stop there. Just realize that you're not alone. Every action in this hyper world that we live in has a reaction and it generally affects somebody other than yourself. So just be more cognizant of that is that would be my message of you're not alone. Final question. <laughs> what does the future hold for this podcast? Oh boy. <clears throat> future of the podcast. Episode 101 has been, just to say that we're at episode 101 is pretty awesome. Uh, the future is to, I think, broaden our reach and to touch more people, both in the competition side, but also in the home cooking side and maybe trying some different formats, maybe trying some video, trying to grow, trying to spread the message of love that, that cooking outside can do. And really make an impact. More and more that has become my goal in terms of all of this, Chris, is just to make an impact. And whether that's through teaching people, teaching people competition stuff and teaching people how to better cook at home. Or just sharing of information and sharing of the good times. You know, everyone needs that. Sure. Because they're not alone. See right. what I mean? It all comes very back good. to that. Great. It all comes back to that. Man. That was very good. It's like that was set up. <laughs> it wasn't, though. I know. That's Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. <laughs> Anyways, uh, well, thank you, man. That's great to share finally your thoughts on these questions that 
that, mo- <laughs> yeah, that you put together a couple of years ago. And it's, it's great to hear. It was great to hear pitmasters throughout the last few years getting their take on, on every, every little aspect it seems like of cooking and, and now to have a couple episodes of, of your takes on this stuff. It's wonderful. And it's, it's eye opening. And it's for me, someone who's followed your career, like I said earlier, it's someone who's followed your career for the last 10 plus years. It's been fun to see how much it's influenced you. And now the influence that you have on others when it comes to cooking and outdoor cooking and just being a model human being. So it's just <laughs> Great job, man. Congrats on 101 episodes here and look forward to the next 101. Thanks, man. And thank you again for all you do. And um, can't wait to hopefully see you again soon. And Yes, sir. It'll be good stuff, bud. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the old Virginia smoke YouTube channel as well. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedanka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. Old Virginia, Old Virginia Smoke.